This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. America, a nation whose greatness comes from the goodness of its people and the rights with which every citizen is born. Ask not what America will do for you, but what together we can do for the freedom of man. Now, the Blaze Radio Network presents Rights from Our Creator, The American Way. Happy Independence Day. It's Doc and Skip from the Blaze Radio Network. This is one of my absolute favorite times of the year. It's always been sort of magical for me. It's this outward and obvious spectacle of some of my core beliefs. And it's also a lot of fun. I mean, is magical too strong of a word? No, not at all. Am I the only one that gets all goofed up on it? No, 4th of July, Independence Day is a special, special time. And if uh, for people who actually uh, know, know the history of our country and uh, have respect for everything that was created for, no, it is a time of wonderment that should be celebrated and is. So it's it's big, it's fun, it's epic, and it's all centered around a celebration of what I believe at my very core, with everything I am. So, yeah, that's that's fun. It's also summertime, which makes it real nice, too. Exactly. So over the next couple of hours, we're going to be celebrating America's independence and sharing stories about those who have defended the Constitution through the years. Rights from our creator, the American way. So what are we celebrating I mean, obviously, we're celebrating America's birthday, the anniversary of the founding of America, of course. But what makes you so giddy about it? What makes me so giddy about it? What did I mean by those those things that I believe at my core? Have you ever really asked yourself, what is it about the 4th of July? Is it just America's birthday? I mean, is it, hey, I'm from America, and this is this is America's birthday. Woo! Is, is that it? See, because I've never celebrated my state's birthday that much or my continent's birthday or my county, my city's birthday. I don't know when it is. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So what is it? I mean, what is it about? Well, the founding of America, even if your country is special, even if your country has done amazing things, surely isn't worth that much pomp and circumstance that America gets on its birthday. I mean, I see other countries celebrate theirs, too, but if we don't get that excited and crazy over other boundary territory, uh, boundary territories, why do we get that excited about a country? If you had to explain it to a non-American, if you were traveling around the world and they're like, hey, what is all of this Fourth of July, Independence Day stuff about? Because I've heard tell that a lot of America, uh, non-Americans, when they come here to visit, they're shocked by the amount of flags they see the number of american flags they see out in front of banks and post offices and houses that they just don't have their flags displayed on uh you know or in their countries the same way do right so if they were asking you about it what would you say why are you so giddy well it's america's birthday and they're like yeah but why are you so excited about it i think part of it comes from i mean obviously i think uh, uh 200 years ago it was more of uh of celebrating that oh my goodness yeah we're free it's our birthday type thing uh, but that's it right there we're free it's not our birthday it has to be and is about something else you see what i'm saying well no that's what i was i was saying is that i mean it started off as with the intent that it was created for but i think a lot of it has to do with now more of the celebratory type thing it's, it's become a party in and to itself 
It's, uh, it's summertime. It's good weather. There are a lot of exciting activities, even with things like fireworks that go down specifically. So I think a lot of that has helped uh, uh, move the meter even higher in terms of being a, a, a prideful event. Well, that's why I brought it up, because I think it has become just a, a good party. And that's cool. I mean, if that's what you want to do, and if you're proud of America, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, proud of where you're from. If you're proud of your state, that's cool, too. Got it. But for me, that celebration is much, much more. I mean, it, again, you're, you're explaining to that person around the globe, well, America's done a lot of good in the world. It has. I mean, um, America has done much more to elevate the world and people out of darkness maybe than any other country. But how did they do that? How, how did America accomplish that? It's that basis, the foundation. Economically, militarily, yeah, our strong economy and military helped elevate people out of darkness. But it's the philosophies that drove our economy, the philosophies that drove our military, the philosophy that said people ought to be free, the motivations. That is the center of Independence Day. Celebrating Independence Day must be more than just about the birth of a nation. It has to be about a philosophy, a, a morality. It must be about a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. To celebrate a country, a great country, without that ironclad foundation of, of principles to back it up, would eventually see you defending a country that does wrong. You see what I'm saying? You'd say, I'm proud of where I'm from, and that's great. But where you're from could eventually be wrong. It's like putting all of your faith into a man. I'm proud of that person to be president or whatever. But that person can do wrong. So yes, judge them on their actions. But isn't it their philosophies, the principles that is guiding you? It has to be about more than just the birth of a nation. It has to be about the philosophies. And what are those philosophies? The declaration that those 56 men made on that sweltering July day said it best. All men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So wonderfully written, so beautiful, and yet so few people now actually understand it. They confuse that all men are created equal, thinking that means outcome, or not all men are created equal. I hear that quote at all. You ever hear that one? You ever hear that? That's not what it's about. Let's, let's dissect this for just a moment. And if you understand this already, I apologize. This is for those who don't. I don't know if it's purposely mistaught or just misunderstood, but it's really confused at times. That statement in the Declaration of Independence means that each of us equally has been given by God rights that are absolute. That created equal thing, it's not equal outcome. Not everybody's going to throw a football 70 yards. Not everybody's going to be rich. Not everybody's going to have. Not everybody's smart. Each of us equally has been given by God certain rights that are absolute. They cannot be separated from us unless they are taken by another or we voluntarily give them up. They are inherent in us upon our birth. God gave those to us. That is the all men are created equal. We all have those, and those are, in part, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You have life upon your birth, even if it's only for a second or if it's a hundred years. And you have the freedom to follow your own path as you see fit. That's it. That's the big dog. It is amazing 
It's powerful. It's a big thought, especially in the 1700s, that not a king would tell you what you could do or some other person with power on earth, that each of us are the same. There's no feudal system. We all have the ability within us by God to follow our paths and use what talents we have to do whatever we want, except if we're infringing another's. Absolutely spectacular, beautiful, and revolutionary for the time. People didn't know that. People didn't believe that. We take all that for granted, Skip. This was the 1700s. Kings did, could and did have people executed for whatever they want. They could do virtually anything. I mean, what a new and novel concept it seems like today. Imagine trying to, 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 to put yourself into the mindset and framework of back then, how crazy and huge of an idea that was. It was gargantuan. You can't even imagine. And then, the way they did it, the, 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 way, the way they put, they put this down on paper saying, hey, here's how it's going to be, king. They challenged the most powerful country and person on the planet Earth and said, we're not going to do that. We're going to do it this way because we believe everybody is created equally. Think of the courage that took. These men committed treason. They could have been, had their, uh, uh, been beheaded back over uh, across the pond for that. A couple things had gone differently. The names that we celebrate, like Adams and Jefferson and Madison and Franklin, they wouldn't be on statues. They would be in the history books as some of the greatest traitors in British history. How amazing is that? They would be the Benedict Arnolds of England. That's how we would remember them. After they signed the Declaration of Independence, and, and not all of the signers signed on the same day. Some of them, it, it took a, another week or so for them to actually get into Philadelphia to sign it because, you know, travel wasn't as easy. And John Adams was there. He was there throughout the process over those, you know, the 2nd, the 3rd, and the 4th of July as they signed this. He believed that America's independence would be considered July 2nd as opposed to the 4th. So he wrote his wife the day after that, and he said, The second day of July, 1776, will be the most memorable epic in the history of America. I'm apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. So not only are you celebrating you know, this idea of freedom, you're also honoring God by it, by saying he has given this to us. He continued, it ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shoes, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other, from this time forward forevermore. You will think me transported with enthusiasm, but I am not. I am well aware of the tale and blood and treasure that it will cost us to maintain this declaration and support and defend these states. Yet through all the gloom I can see the rays of ravishing light and glory. I can see that in the end is more than worth all the means and that posterity will triumph in that day's transaction even although we shall rue it, which I trust in God we shall not. What a beautiful explanation. John Adams July 2nd, 1776. Rights from our creator, the American Way, will continue in just a moment. This Independence Day, 
we take a look at what makes America great. There is no foundation like the rock of honesty and fairness. Rights from our creator, the American way. And when you begin to build your life on that rock, then you have a real start. A special presentation from the Blaze Radio Network. Rights from our creator, the American way. Hi, it's Doc and Skip, regularly heard on the Blaze Radio Network. If you want to find out more about us, go to theblaze.com slash doc. That's theblaze.com slash doc. I want to tell you about a guy that you're probably not familiar with, but I'm pretty sure you know some of the things that he's famous for saying. He was a cheerleader for America and the principles of freedom, the ones that we celebrate today and this weekend. He was a doctor. He became an importer and then a teacher. He was an arms dealer. He was a writer, a political activist during the French Revolution. He was a farmer, a horticulturist that became a secret agent. And you quote him all the time. And you probably don't even know his name. Between 1757 and 1775, Benjamin Franklin went on a bunch of mission trips to England. I mean, these guys were really well-traveled. And while in London one time, he met an Italian doctor. The doctor's name, Filippo Mazze. Mazze had practiced medicine in Italy and throughout the Middle East, but by 1755, he decided to start a mercantile career as an importer and then also worked as a teacher of Italian. When he told Benjamin Franklin that he had an idea of importing products like wine and olive trees and stuff like that to the colonies, Ben Franklin said, hey, man, that's a great idea. You should do it. So on September 2nd, 1773, Matze boarded a ship from Liverpool to Virginia. And in his possession, he had oils and wine and plants and seeds and silkworms and 10 farmers with him. And his plan was to take some of this stuff and, you know, set up the, the importing business in America. And while in Virginia, he visited Thomas Jefferson at Monticello. They became friends and then really good friends. And Jefferson even gave him a big chunk of land and said, hey, you can experiment. Why don't you grow some of that stuff here in Virginia? So together, Matze and Jefferson started what became the first commercial vineyard in the Commonwealth of Virginia. 1779, Matze returned to Italy and acted as a secret agent for the Commonwealth of Virginia and he, what he would do is he would purchase arms and then ship them to Virginia. I mean, this is, this is just a guy that became friends with Thomas Jefferson and did all of this stuff. And then he would travel all over Europe promoting America and our representative republic. He was so passionate about the ideas of freedom that he talked about America and taught it even though he wasn't an American. He said, this is right. This is the way forward. He even wrote a political history of the American Revolution and had it published in Paris in 1788. Again, a non-American who was so passionate about it, he did all of these things. He became a confidential advisor to King Stanislaw II of Poland. And eventually his official, uh, his official representative in Paris, where he became an activist in the French Revolution and telling them, no, you've got to do it like the American Revolution. You've got to set up the government like that. 
France didn't in what happened. You know of all the failures post-French Revolution. Because the revolutions were very close in, in time. Why was America's different? Because it set up those, those principles. The principles that God grants us the right to freedom, to self-determination. And all else was built on it. So, Matze died in 1816 in Pisa, Italy. And he's buried there. Thomas Jefferson helped his family after that return to America. And they settled in Massachusetts and Virginia. His daughter even married one of, uh, I think, John Adams' nephews. So this guy's that interwoven in American history. And you probably have never heard of him. Now, all of this would make him fascinating, an amazing character by itself. I mean, he's that much of a contributor to early America and the values and the things we, we talk about and believe in. But then there's his quote. A quote that is exclusively attributed to his lifelong friend, Thomas Jefferson. Jefferson borrowed a phrase that Matze used to say and added it to, added to it a bit and then incorporated them into the Declaration of Independence. You see, when Jefferson declared that we hold these truths to be self-evident, the first truth he penned was the words of Philip Matze, all men are created equal. This was his idea, his line. And Thomas Jefferson took that line, added to it, and Americans quote this Italian all the time as a core founding principle. That's amazing to me. So what this is really about is how Thomas Jefferson's a big thief, right? <laughs> no, that's not it. That's not it. It's always attributed to Jefferson. I don't know who this Monsai guy is. Although, you know, the, um, the Declaration of Independence, uh, Thomas Jefferson also borrowed from George Mason, too. And the, and the Virginia Declaration of Rights, there's part of it that's, that's borrowed from there, too. Further going to my point of Jefferson just being a big thieving slave he was, owner. He was not. He was, uh, he was quite eloquent in putting it all together. Declaration is, is a fantastic document. But these guys, I, mean, I never heard about Philip Matze. No, Had me you? either. I've, I've never heard of him. Never heard the name before I'd met you. The way I became familiar with him, not in a history book, not from any class I took in school. Not even from uh, programs like this, studying history, news stories, from a friend of mine who owns a coffee company who named one of his coffees after him. And I was like, okay, your coffee company is American Pride Roasters. Skip and I talk about them, their official coffee, the Morning Blaze, but I'm like, okay, American Pride Roasters, all of your coffees are named after patriots or people who believe patriots. Most of the people you know, like, you know, the Washington, the Madison, the Franklin. And I was like, Who's this Philip Matze? And he said, well, it's the chocolate biscotti flavor of coffee. And I said, yeah. <laughs> and he goes, Philip Matze. And I was like, no. So he started explaining a little bit. And I was like, oh, I feel really, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Stupid. Stupid. Dumb would also suffice. Yeah, that would. <laughs> so anyways, yeah, AmericanPrideRoasters.com if you want to see and try it for yourself. It's fantastic coffee. AmericanPrideRoasters.com. But yeah, when he put this out there, I was like, okay, I, now I understand. Maybe that's somebody we should remember. If you want to uh, follow us, you can do so on the Twitter, at Doc Thompson Show, and at Skip Lacombe. Please tweet at us. Happy Independence Day. Rights from our creator, the American way. A special presentation from the Blaze Radio Network.
Don't miss Pat and Stu. If you're crossing the border in the desert heat yeah. and it's 110 or 117 degrees and you're hot and you're tired and you're thirsty, mm-hmm. how about this? Stay home. Okay? Don't come. Don't come here. If you <laughs> Pat and Stu, weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Writes from our creator, The American Way. A special presentation from the Blaze Radio Network. Heard on great stations, coast to coast, this is Rights from our creator, The American Way, a radio special broadcast on this Independence Day weekend. I'm Doc Thompson, along with Skip Lacombe, and joining us now is former CIA analyst and Blaze Radio Network host and our colleague, Buck Sexton. Buck, in your travels, you've probably encountered many people that you would say, in a notable way, have defended the Constitution. I had a fair amount of, of personal exposure to those who uh, were on the front line, literally on the front lines of that fight uh, in both Iraq and Afghanistan. And it is an awe-inspiring thing to be around people who day in and day out are taking such tremendous risks. And you have a real understanding of it, too. I mean, the sacrifices, yes, of course, the sacrifices uh, of uh, possibly being killed in action um, and being wounded in action, but also the uh, the day-to-day sacrifices of being away, being away from family and the strain that can put on, on marriages and, and on uh, relationships. And it was just uh, a tremendous thing to see that there were so many people who were so devoted to this idea, which is what America really is. And I think it's important to keep that in mind. It's certainly uh, what the, how the founders saw it, right? This is all just an idea that we buy into, uh, that we understand is based upon uh, rights that come from God, rights that are ours as human beings. And the genius of the founders was the decision to seize those rights and to set them down uh, always and for all time in writing. Uh, and that's how we got our Constitution. And I, I remember also you know, sitting down uh, with with a, somebody I grew up with. And this was years ago. And I had gotten back from my first uh, my first period of time in Iraq, and uh, I was doing on the on the intelligence officer side as a CIA analyst, so it was a different circumstance than how how uh, military serves. Uh, just to be uh, upfront and clear about that, just uh, my I viewed my role and, and did the best I could to support the warfighter in his in his and her day to day operations um, and provide them with the best information, the best intelligence I could. And I had had this friend, and, and we had lost touch. Um, we, we grew up together here in the city. I, I always thought he was kind of a shy guy. Uh, I grew up in New York City. He also grew up in New York City. He was a shy individual, not somebody that I ever would have thought later on, well, I'm getting a little ahead of myself in the story. Uh, he was always nice and, and a good guy. We were friendly. We grew up together. We lost touch really in high school and, and college. And there aren't that many people from... Manhattan, where I grew up, where I'm from, who make the decision in, in any, in any context to, uh, serve, serve their country, whether the military, state department, intelligence agencies, anywhere else. It happens, but it's just not as common as it is in other parts of the country. And I remember I reached, I, I knew that this, this guy, this friend of mine, uh, we'll call him, call him Bob. I knew that Bob was, uh, over there. And 
he had been a Marine, and he had been a Marine officer leading uh, at the tip of the spear in Anbar province at a time when to be in Anbar province was to be involved in some of the toughest fighting, uh, some of the nastiest fighting of the entire Iraq war. And I, I reached out to him and I, I wanted to sit down with him and, and have a, just have a chat. And I remember, I figured we would have a beer. He, he had since gotten out of the military, uh, cause I, I had uh, reached out to him when I knew he was no longer, no longer an activity Marine, but we had never really talked about his time over there. And I sat down with him. We had a beer at this place. Uh, this place where we all used to go, and I'll tell you this too, we all used to go when we were in high school, so, you know, there wasn't really a lot of, uh, a lot of ID checking going on for the, for the beer, but that's okay. That's a separate, a separate discussion entirely. We all used to go there, and it was a well-known place, and we sat down, and I was just in awe. I mean, this is a guy who, um, decided just on his own without any, he has no military in his background, uh, his parents, weren't pushing him in any way. He just loved this country like so many others who serve and decided that he was going to sign up and do it. And uh, I talked to him about what his time was like in, in Ambar, and he was telling me about how when he was with his guys, he was with his Marines, the first time that they came under fire, they were more confused than anything else for a second. It just didn't seem real. And he said by the end of his deployment, every time they would come under fire, it was just like a Swiss watch. They all took their positions, returned fire, knew exactly what they were doing and how proud he was of, of all of his guys. And, and he knew that it was a big, messy, awful, ugly war. Uh, but his guys, uh, did their part, uh, more than their part and were, and were the kind of, uh, patriots and the kind of door kickers that let all the rest of us sleep well at night. And we must have, we must have sat at this bar together for, hours three or four hours just swapping stories i was telling him about you know stuff i had seen and dealt with on the agency side and he was telling me about what it was like to be in the in the core and and uh, we had just we had a, a really good time talking i mean there were some somber moments too you know we went into you know friends that had been uh, wounded and, and we talked about friends that had been lost and uh it was one of those times when all i can say to you is uh it all made sense to me you know, sitting there talking to somebody, we'd grown up together. We actually grew up very close uh, in proximity to each other. Families knew each other, and we'd lost touch for years and years. And there was this bond, uh, this sort of brotherhood, even though he was military and I was intel side. So it's not like we had served in uniform together. But here we were, two guys who, because of what happened on 9-11 and because of the challenges that this country faced, we decided to, in our own way, answer the call. And I just thought, I mean, I told him, I said, you know, you're, you're a hero. You know that, right? I mean, I don't, I don't just walk around saying that to people, but you decided to do this and I'm proud to know you. I'm proud to be your friend. And he looked back at me and he was just like, what I did was my obligation. You know, he was just saying he, he loved this country. And those are the kind of things that I try to remind myself of, you know, moments like that, conversations like that with, with real patriots, um, of whom I've, I've been fortunate to know so many over the years. Uh, that's that's what I want to think about when we talk about independence, we talk about uh, Fourth of July and uh, the vision of the founders for this country. Only possible because of uh, men like my friend and uh, and others, men and women who serve in uniform. And the reason they do it is because they love this place because they know how special it really is. And so that, those are my thoughts for you on this Fourth of July. And again, I hope you have a, a joyous and celebratory one with your families. God bless you and God bless America. 
You're listening to a special presentation. Rights from our creator, the American Way, from the Blaze Radio Network. We now return to rights from our creator, the American Way. Hi, it's Doc and Skip from the Blaze Radio Network celebrating this Independence Day weekend. So, Mr. Lacombe, what are you going to be doing this weekend to exercise your personal freedoms that are protected by the Constitution? What are you going to do? You mean, I mean, what am I specifically going to do? To That's right. Exercise? Use them or lose them, buddy. What are you going to be doing? <laughs> Let's is, make a list. I want to hear that about even, them. even mean? I'm going to probably go to like a, a barbecue or Listen, something. Listen, I am going to be – you don't even appreciate your constitutional rights. I mean, you really I don't. I do. I just don't know how I I am going to be exercising as many constitutional rights as I can this weekend, as many as possible. How, how are you going to do that? <laughs> what am I doing right now? What am I doing? Okay, okay. Blah, blah, blah. blah. Okay. Number one, amendment to the Constitution. Number one, freedom of speech. Um, I uh, guess you could even argue press on that even. I probably could, exactly. Um, Broadcast press. I mean, it's not traditional press. So... um, uh, you and I are kind of assembled here peacefully <laughs> at this point. So Currently peacefully assembled. I have prayed already, and I will likely pray more this weekend. Um, I have not petitioned the government for a redress of grievances. So We probably should, though. We've got some grievances. We could, yeah. Okay, I'm going to write that down. So far, five of the first uh, <laughs> amendment to the uh, Bill of Rights, I'm, I'm covered. I'm good. I'll work on Number two, right here, baby. Oh, okay. Right here. Yeah, so I'm, I'm good there. Okay, here's my promise to you. That when the police show up to my family's house, as they inevitably will at our barbecue. Hey, Thompson family gathering usually. Right. There's the police. many police involved. I will make sure that they have a warrant. I will make sure. So I'm covered okay. on four as well. All right. Okay. That works too. You know. Plus, I will not be uh, searching or seizing anything myself. Are you sure? Yeah, exactly. There's no chance you might need to seize something? Um. Yes, that is absolutely right. I will also make sure that in the ensuing court case that comes out of the barbecue and the warrant and whatnot, <laughs> that I will not self-incriminate myself. I will not let them try me twice. Okay. Anything like that. Uh, I will have due process. It'll be a grand jury and so on and so forth. So I'm covered on five. Five is covered too, which is good. You know, you want to make sure that, I mean, any legal fallout is taken care of the right way. And I feel fairly certain there will be a speedy trial. So six is good too. We're good on six. Okay. And right. there will probably be a trial by jury, you know, so I feel very covered on that. Um, fines and bails on number on number eight. So, um, I mean, you're with me on all of that, right? No, absolutely. Yeah. Now. I want you to notice something here, okay? I want you to look what I'm doing here. You see this? You see this? I'm swinging my fist around. See this? Look, I'm <laughs> making that sound. Okay, well, why are you doing that? Seeing you doing this? Look, there? I'm wearing a green shirt today. See this? This is all number nine, baby. I got a phone on. I'm sitting oh, in a chair. Oh, because the, the, the right's not enumerated. Okay. That's right. Okay. Number nine, the Bill of Rights. Just because we listed stuff here doesn't mean those are your only rights. So all of this other stuff I'm doing, I'm wearing a ring, I got a short haircut, all of this skip, number nine, baby, number I, nine. I mean, that's basically a, a, a limitless number of uh, uh, constitutional rights that you can perform and, and, and take uh, take hold of. That's right. You breathing right now? I am. You doing that? Okay, good. You wearing a white shirt? I am. Excellent. Number nine, baby. You're going to be covering nine like there's no tomorrow. Look at this. Taking my shoes off. 
Number nine. Huh. Number 10. Number 10. Yep, I'm going to go ahead and make sure that um, the federal government isn't overstepping their bounds. My state, my state definitely is going to have, yeah, it's going to have its say, Skip. I'm going to always make sure of that. That one's yeah. always pretty solid, too. Hmm. All right, I'm going to jump ahead of here a little bit, okay? Number 17, Skip, I want no part of this. No part of number 17. 17th uh, Amendment? Nay. Oh. Nay. Direct election of senators? No. Yeah, okay. No. No. This, this old document, too. This old document written. That, yeah, they don't know what they're talking about with that. In fact, I may stop voting for senator <laughs> from now on. That may be my silent protest from now on. From now on, when I go to vote, just not voting for senator. I'm not supposed to. 17th Amendment's wrong. We I, should, I shouldn't that. be able to, so I'm not going That's to. That's right. States you appointed. States have a voice in the government then. All right, jumping ahead. Am I, Skip, at this moment manufacturing alcohol within the borders of the United States? Um, are you currently? Right. I don't, I don't believe so. Okay, so I'm covered on 18. But if I choose to, I'm covered by 21, the repeal of 18. There you go. Good to go. Good nice. to go. I like that. I'm a little stuck on this 19. 19. Well, I guess the cat's out of the bag. <laughs> the horse is out of the barn. What are you going to do? Probably, right? I mean, at this point, it's going to be hard to go back. I mean, that, even though that's probably the right thing, it's going to be hard to go back. Suffrage, of course, number 19. I will proudly stand up for women and their right to vote. I'll exercise that <laughs> right, encouraging women to vote. So, see, Skip, all weekend long, as I always do, I'm going to exercise as many constitutionally protected rights as, as I can. Because that's a use them or lose them. And I think that's a bit of defending the Constitution right there. I mean, it's not the same as picking up a rifle and going into war. It's not the same as arguing a case before the Supreme Court. It's not defending at that level. But see, if you're using your rights, you're exercising them. And that is a bit of defense of the Constitution. If anybody challenges you on it, number nine, baby, sorry. Right? You're putting it out there. You're defending those rights by using them. But how can you use them if you don't know about them? And most people do not. So what I would encourage you this Independence Day weekend and moving forward, that you exercise your rights. Learn them, know them, teach them to your children, and then use them. I joke about number nine, but it is absolutely brilliant. It is one of the most significant parts of the Constitution. And if you don't understand what happened, there was a debate as they were writing the Constitution of saying, hey, and, and I love the people like Patrick Henry who stood opposed to the Constitution. You're like, what are you talking about? I revere this thing. And his argument was, listen, um, people are going to bastardize this thing. If you put well, – he opposed the, um, uh, the Bill of Rights to the Constitution because he said, listen, <clears throat> if you write these rights down, people are going to think these are your only rights. Look at the arguments we have over the Second Amendment, Skip. Arguing the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law, back and forth. Well, what does well-regulated militia mean? What was a gun of the time, right? All of this stuff. Whereas if it said you had a right to uh, have a gun because all rights are assumed, the Constitution is you have all rights to – you have the right to do whatever as long as you're not infringing somebody else's. And that was his argument. If you write him down, people are going to give him these arguments saying those are your only rights. And they said, but we want people to know specifically some of these are really important. We have to lay these out. And they went back and forth. Number nine was, was the great compromise on that. Okay, here's what we'll do. We'll write down some of these rights that are really, really important. Really, really important. 
But we want to make sure people know those aren't your only rights. And therefore, number nine, just because we listed something here in the Constitution because we think it's specifically very important that you know, that doesn't mean those are your only rights. Your other rights are absolute, whatever. As long as there is not a law directing against it, as long as there is not uh, you know, something in the Constitution that says other, that prohibits it, or you infringing somebody else's, you can do it. It's genius. Wonderful. And then, of course, 10 with states. But it's funny how completely lost it is. Learn the rights, teach your kids, and then exercise in this Independence Day weekend. Doc and Skip on the Blaze Radio Network. This is a special presentation. Rights from our creator, the American way. From the Blaze Radio Network. Eight-hour warning from the Secretary of Defense. Go rescue our guys by any means necessary. Do anything, use anybody. Nothing was ever attempted because somebody issued a contramanding order to stand down. Ignore the Secretary of Defense. I ask you again, who has that authority? Jay Severin. Weekdays, 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. America, a nation whose greatness comes from the goodness of its people and the rights with which every citizen is born. Ask not what America will do for you, but what together we can do for the freedom of man. Now, the Blaze Radio Network presents Rights from Our Creator, The American Way. Hi, it's Doc and Skip, regularly heard on the Blaze Radio Network. If you'd like to find out more about us, please go to theblaze.com slash Doc and Skip. That's theblaze.com slash Doc and Skip. And please follow us on Facebook and Twitter as well. On uh, Twitter, it's at Doc Thompson Show or at Skip Lacombe. And on Facebook, it's uh, facebook.com slash Doc Thompson Show. And it's facebook.com slash Skip Lacombe. No, it's Skip Radio. Oh, well, thanks for being consistent on that. I appreciate that. That uh, keeps it nice and simple for us. Appreciate it. Uh, we're, we're talking about the Constitution, specifically on this Independence Day weekend, and people who defended the Constitution. Have you ever heard the phrase, the American experiment? Have you ever heard that, the great American experiment? We, we don't often consider what that means because the rest of the world, in many cases, has followed, followed our lead with trying to become freer. Still, many places of the world where people are oppressed, but there's a lot of constitutions or laws that were modeled after the U.S. Constitution. The American experiment is the question in the 1700s, can people self-govern? Revolutionary idea, brand new. They didn't even know if it was possible. I mean, it would be like if you had uh, the, the professors of today back then appearing like on MSNBC. Well, I don't know if it's even possible for people to self-govern, <laughs> right? <laughs> they be saying, trust me, those professors don't want people to really self-govern. They don't. But So they'd be going, it's a fine idea that people should be free, but I don't even know if it's possible for them to self-govern, right? <laughs> That's what they'd be saying. 
Lincoln asked that very question a hundred years after the revolution when he said, whether a nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. So it was a hundred years in, almost a hundred years in, they were still saying, I don't know if this thing's going to work. I mean, we're in the middle of a civil war. They hadn't even really considered that. Okay, great. We overthrew the tyrant and we've got this country, you know, set up and there's parameters and laws and rules. Great. Everything's going smooth. Oh, people are fighting, <laughs> right? We're fighting each other now. Mm-hmm. Then another roadblock. Can a nation so conceived in liberty long endure? Lincoln said also as part of the Gettysburg Address, the world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what we did here. Well, what did they do here? What did they do at Gettysburg? What they did was to prove, yeah, a nation governed on freedom, self-governance, relying on God as guidance, can absolutely endure. It's not always easy. In fact, it's quite often very difficult. But it can happen if you're dedicated. Which brings me to the next person I want to talk about that defended the Constitution, and it's likely somebody you don't know a whole lot about. At Chancellorsburg, during the Civil War, this is just weeks before Gettysburg, Robert E. Lee had been humiliating the North. I mean, just whooping their ass. And at Chancellorsburg, he or Chancellorsville, he pushed them all the way back toward toward Washington. It was the Army of the Potomac in that region, and it was the premier army of the North. And there were they were losers, really. They, they, these these people had lost so much, it had just become accepted. They were going to lose. It was so bad that senior officers would turn down the command of the Army of the Potomac. No, no, no. We don't want any part of that. Those are, those are losers. No, you take it, Jim. You take it. No, no. I'm fine over here. <laughs> right? I mean, no. turning down command, something that could have made them. They just thought it was it was not winnable. And the funny thing is the North was in much better shape than the South. I mean, they had stronger armies in in numbers. They had stronger economic might. They had all of this, yet were still being humiliated that way. So as Lee continued his rampage across southern Pennsylvania and other areas, President Lincoln fired the commander, Major General Joseph Hooker, who was in charge of the Army of the Potomac. He had failed miserably at Chancellorsville and... Lincoln was pretty frustrated with it. So he ordered General George Gordon Meade to take command. Now, he's a guy who had been a career officer. He fought in the Spanish-American War, or the Mexican-American War, the uh, Second Seminole War. But he was not in command at that point. He had had an argument with Hooker over how to do things. And when Lincoln fired Hooker and put him in charge... The word went out to Meade. It was the middle of the night. So they went and woke him up. Hey, um, (laughs) General Hooker, I got a message. (laughs) Hooker thought he was being uh, brought up on charges or fired. He thought he was being arrested for going against Hooker, for even questioning him. So he's like, all right, you got me. Right? Busted. Right. I'm in trouble here. And they said, no, no. We got a message from Lincoln. You're to take command. Oh, okay. All right. Let's see what we can do here. Okay. It's just three days till the Battle of Gettysburg. I mean, one of the bloodiest war uh, battles of the Civil War. Just horrible. The amount of 
of destruction there. But it's just three days before, and he has to set up this looming confrontation with Lee. So he started concentrating his forces, and he started inspecting the terrain to find out the best ground to to fight on and um, pushing out his cavalry to find Lee, which Hooker had not done. In fact, there wasn't even a map of Pennsylvania. Hooker didn't even have a map of the region at all. It was all like, well, there's some trees over there. I guess we'll... Onward! (laughs) That's what it was. And in that short period of time, just days, General George Gordon Meade ended up defeating Lee. He won the Union's first indisputable victory in the East. And with Gettysburg's strategic win and that effect... And also with a couple other things like Grant capturing Vicksburg. This set up the North's inevitable win of the Civil War. Now, there's a lot of people that won't put as much credit on the Battle of Gettysburg or significance on it. Saying, ah, it lasted two more years. What do you mean it it, it set up the win? It was really just the South hanging on for political statements to have their voice heard, just dragging the whole thing out. You know, maybe it was delusional, but it was pretty much over for for him at that point. I mean, a couple of those battles, they said Vicksburg on the 4th of July by Grant, and then Meade's victory at Gettysburg. That's what turned the tide for the North. That was the, that was it. That was the significant moment. A huge shift in momentum, at the very least. I mean, people don't give it the credit in, in being the the cause of the war, and it wasn't the the silver bullet to end it, but it's definitely the moment you can point to where the momentum shifted from the South. Right. I mean, and again, it, there was there was a combination of things, but that was certainly part of it. Had had Lincoln not fired him, had Gordon not the uh, uh, George Gordon Meade not the skill set, the mindset, the organization needed to do it. It may have not turned that way. George Gordon Meade was the first Union general to defeat Lee in a fair fight on open fields. See, I mean, he, Lee started having this almost myth about him. You know, he's able to be, even be defeated. You know what I mean? It was like that. And this showed the, the chink in the armor. This showed, yeah, it can be done and we can win this thing. So for many reasons, it ended up proving a bit of a turning point in the Civil War, and showing once again that often with divine intervention, divine providence, God puts the right people in the right places at the right time for those who are doing his will, for those that are exercising their God-granted, now we say constitutionally protected rights, and also who are who are doing what, what he has directed us to do. Serve him and serve his commandments. He puts the right people in the right places at the right time. Many right people. In this case, George Gordon Meade, Ulysses S. Grant, Lincoln himself. The right people at the right time. Think about that throughout American history. How many people at the last minute, think of World War II and all of those personalities and characters that were there who managed to eke out a victory or some level of success in order to get the right things done. It's amazing. The Civil War, of course, a turning point that had at least something to do with slavery. That wasn't the whole thing. It was also about states' rights, and we know that. 
But Skip and I have come up with something, I think, fascinating on this Independence Day weekend that we'd like to share with you. Often I get very frustrated when there are minorities in America who do not share my reverence on Independence Day weekend, how I'm fascinated by it and amazed by it and, and, and give it so much power. But it finally dawned on me, they don't because that's not their Independence Day as they see it. That for many minorities, they don't believe their independence as a people came in 1776 like I do. I wasn't around then, but I still mark that as a day of my independence when my people, American people, people like me got their independence. And certainly that did set up the independence for all Americans, black, white, it didn't matter. But I can understand why they do not put the same reverence on Independence Day. They do for the Emancipation Proclamation or any of the numerous laws that were passed to protect minorities and say that, yes, you are also equal 100% American. It doesn't count to them the same way it counts to us. Which is an interesting perspective to have, too, even if you if you disagree with it and think that, well, no, I mean, you're still an American and none of us were really around back then. That doesn't matter. It's all about perspectivism in terms of, of why they think that way. I just hope minorities recognize or would understand that I do consider Independence Day their Independence Day as well. But I also respect enough to understand why you may feel the way you do. More coming up on Rights from Our Creator, The American Way. This is a special presentation. Rights from Our Creator, The American Way. From the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to a special presentation, Rights from Our Creator, The American Way. Doc Thompson and Skip Lacombe, happy Independence Day weekend. If you would, please follow us on Twitter. It's at Doc Thompson Show and at Skip Lacombe. Often we'll use the hashtag what I learned today, but please use the hashtag Independence Day as well. Joining us now from the Blaze Radio Network and the Blaze TV, one of our favorite people, Lawrence B. Jones. Lawrence, from a millennial perspective, How are we doing at defending the Constitution? Are we doing better or are we doing worse? Today is a difficult day in America because there was once a time where we were able to stand together on that document. And that is the First Amendment. But sadly, political correctness is destroying what we stand for. And as a young man that just came from a college campus where there is something called safe spaces where you're not able to say certain things that would offend people, something that you believe is called offensive and you can be kicked off a campus on college campuses. There is something that is called cultural appropriation where one race or one group of people owned a certain part of culture. Many of you may remember uh, a young man at a university recently 
who decided that he wanted to wear dreads and Black Lives Matter decided that they were going to attack the kid because black people apparently own dreads. Despite many cultures throughout time having dreads. And so they use this as a tool to conquer people. Many of you may remember the religious freedom attacks that has happened this year and last year. Oh, in the year before that. And it has become a topic of discussion on what private businesses that decide that they want to stand for Christ can do. You may remember the Memories Pizza story. And this was a story that the Blaze TV as well as the Blaze Radio decided that we were going to take a stand. A little pizzeria out of Indiana had a journalist that asked them a hypothetical question. They choose, chose this small pizzeria in this small town. And they went to the owner of this pizzeria and asked, would they serve gay people? And the owner said, yes, we can serve gay people. Well, they noticed that was a cross outside of the business. And they asked this owner, would you cater a gay wedding? Now, many of you know, people typically don't have pizza as the main course for their wedding. But this journalist uh, that wanted to push a progressive agenda asked them this question. And they said, I'm sorry. Although we will serve gay people, we could not cater a gay wedding because it's something that we simply can't do because of what we believe. After that, they released this interview. And people in the press, liberal sources, decided that they were going to threaten to set the place on fire. They decided that they were going to give these people death threats simply because what they believed. People decided that they were going to destroy the business and its name by infiltrating the Yelp comments that are used to review businesses. And people that didn't even attend the business, didn't even go and eat the food, decided they were going to leave nasty comments. We were at a crossroad. Would we stand with the right of people to use their religion in their business, their private business, or will we let the progressive press and liberal media destroy this business? The Blaze and I, the Blaze TV and radio decided that we were going to create a GoFundMe account. And through that GoFundMe account, we raised from patriots almost a million dollars to help that business. And many people in the press came after me and Dana Lash and many other people that belonged to Pat and Stu and Glenn because they said, why would you stand with such bigots? Not knowing that there were actual 
gay people that stood with us because they wouldn't want to cater an event that was homophobic. There were people that stood against the radical agenda. And so as we progress, as we celebrate this holiday, I ask who will stand? Will we crawl in a corner and crawl up? Or will we recite the First Amendment? Will we stand? Will we pledge our lives and our sacred, our fortunes and our sacred honor? Will we defend this Constitution, foreign and domestic? We have people that are of a radical ideology that are trying to fundamentally uh, reshape America. So I have to ask, who will stand? Will you stand against tyranny? Will you stand against those that want to fundamentally change America? That's the question I have for you on this holiday. Lawrence Jones with the Blaze Radio Network. We'll return to Rights from Our Creator, The American Way. A special presentation from the Blaze Radio Network. From our creator, the American way. Hi, it's Doc and Skip. Thanks so much for joining us this Independence Day weekend. Also joining us, Pat, Stu, and Jeffy from the Blaze Radio Network with their thoughts on people defending the Constitution. It's an amazing uh, time as we look at our constitutional rights constantly being eroded by uh, people who want more control. And it's funny because you see... Uh, constitutional rights are there for a reason, um, and e- they're there to annoy liberals. No, not to annoy liberals. Really, they are there hmm. uh, to make sure the government doesn't do more than they're supposed to do. There's an example from uh, fairly recently: uh, Joe Manchin, the senator from West Virginia, who's again one of the more conservative Democrats out there. Yeah, said the problem with guns is that it's due process is the problem. Now. <laughs> due process. That is an amazing statement for really anybody, yeah. let alone an elected official. And he went on to say this, and this, you know, obviously, you know, you'll remember from the legislation, a five-year period in which if you were ever on the no-fly list, you might not be able to get a gun. And there was that whole debate. The issue is not about that. Due process is there for a reason. It's due to you. It's your right. Um, and those rights in the Constitution are there to protect the American people from people like Joe Manchin when they get emotional and just start grabbing for your power. That's why those lines are bright and they're there. And you're supposed to know that you can't cross them. doesn't seem to be the... Uh, the way that people think about things anymore. No, and and they they kind of look at the Constitution. It seems like m- many people as guidelines rather than yes. Okay, yeah. This is set in stone, people. This is not a guideline. It's like gravity. It's not just a good idea. 
It's the law. Well, they make you feel like a bad guy, right? I mean, they do that on television and movies all the time. When they uh, the police come to a home and they say, hey, can we come in? And they make the person who says, do you have a warrant, look like the bad guy. Yeah. But really, due process. Yeah. Go get a warrant, then you can come into my home. Yeah. And, and I think fundamentally, it's not like, hey, you know these old people? They kind of came up with a great couple of rules. That we should follow the people in the old wigs and stuff back in the day. Mm-hmm. No, these are God-given rights. They are fundamental to us as individuals. And and it's it's important to note that because our founders came from a place where they there was a king in place who just made decisions. He wasn't he wasn't beholding beholden to anyone else. It sounds he, so foreign to me right now. I know, right? <laughs> You're saying a guy who leads the country just yeah, makes decisions, just makes decisions <laughs> unilaterally and just doesn't have to worry about anybody challenging him on it. So he could make a decision and then change his mind and make a different decision. And then the next king could do the same thing. Well, in America, they they believed that certain things were natural law, meaning coming from nature or the creator of nature being god and they can't be taken by any man now they could be altered or changed if you went through a certain process which we have and have have been and have been we started out with 10 amendments Mm -hmm. there are now 27 so it has happened it's fairly rare because in 230 years you know 17 amendments aren't that many and it's though, it's designed it's to, to be that way. Yeah, it's I, not there's not supposed to be a lot of changes because most Americans agree the Constitution's a pretty solid, pretty good document. Yeah, and yeah it's, it's supposed to be basic. I mean, it, it's not supposed to control every aspect of your life. It's not supposed to be everything. It's supposed to say here are the it's limitations. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know. Uh, Sometimes the amendments are not so hot. You know, I mean, right. I, the 16th would be one I would I That's would not out. so hot. Not so hot. The income tax, I, not a good idea. No. Um, but, you know, that it's still there is a big process. It's not easy. It's not supposed to be easy. Yeah. Um, and unlike every other, I mean, you've, you've gone through this before, Pat. Um, we, we are the oldest constitution uh, on earth. Right, by far. Um, and every other constitution has been changed, not amended, but torn up and thrown out how many times? Well, just in the Soviet Union slash Russia, uh, since 1917, they've had seven. Wow. Seven. Think of that. Right. I mean, it's pretty... And just a couple of years ago, Iceland went through a new constitution. And do you remember how they came about their constitution? They to do that social media, right? Twitter. (laughs) Hey, tweet us with what you think would be a really good idea. Okay. That's why they have the Kardashian Amendment, <laughs> uh, which was, I thought, interesting. That's, that is why. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's, it's an important thing. And, and, of course, you know, when we talk about Independence Day, and everyone likes to call it July 4th, and it's the day we have picnics. But, I mean, it is a lot more than that. And, you know, it would be nice. It would be wonderful if everyone kept the Constitution on their mind, not just for one day, but maybe 365 uh, total, uh, and and 366 in leap years. Yeah, uh, it's it's pretty important, and it's it's a basic thing in our society. It's not supposed to be the thing that you you you, you focus on occasionally when it when it benefits your argument. It's supposed to be something that we revere in this in this country because it has freed us. I mean, from a, an entire planet worth of of uh, of tyranny. Right, and that's that's what mankind has mostly known 
through its entire existence until the United States of America. Right. So it's 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 been pretty good to us. We should be pretty good to it. Yeah, unlike Jeffy, who we should not be nice to. Right, exactly all. right. No, and we never. still get hot dogs. That's the fourth, right? Oh, yeah, we get still eat this. Sure. We still have the picnics. Sure. We just... You know, occasionally think about the Constitution at the like Maybe mention it no at, your, at your picnic. <laughs> You're listening to a special presentation. Rights from our creator, The American Way. From the Blaze Radio Network. But the left doesn't even say now you can't make fun of certain cultures, you know, lest you be called a, a racist, a xenophobe, or whatever. But they never stop, right? They're never actually content with whatever cultural victory they have. So now you have to add on top of that, you can't even praise, you can't even be happy for, you can't even be a part of indulging in aspects of a culture that you may really love. Buck Sexton, weekdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. We now return to rights from our creator, the American way. Happy Independence Day. It's Doc and Skip hosting rights from our creator, the American way. We're spotlighting people who have defended the Constitution in their own way. And there's many ways to defend the Constitution. Likely you, somebody, somebody who's defended the Constitution, even in a small way. Well, first of all, if you're exercising your your God granted and constitutional rights, you are in some way defending the Constitution. You're defending the principles of the Constitution if you've ever questioned your government, if you've ever ever gathered with other people and said, hey, that law is not right, or we need a law that does this, or they're doing that wrong. That's defending the Constitution, or at least its principles, right? Heck, tweeting or Facebooking about it, too, questioning about what's going on within your country is is the Constitution, too. I mean, that's what gives us the right to do that. If you've ever... Ever mention that in a Facebook post or tweets, you've done it too. Now, the person who picks up a gun and goes to war, the militia, army, navy, marines, air force. A little more significant. A little more significant than me tweeting. My hashtag activism is a little bit more significant than that. Um, It's also a little more significant for people who challenge something all the way to the Supreme Court and said this isn't right. But there are lots of ways. There are lots of ways to challenge and make sure you're defending the Constitution. There are people who have defended the Constitution unsuccessfully, but nevertheless, they should be respected. There are people who have challenged the Constitution and not been consistent. Many, many different. I want to spotlight a couple of people who defended the Constitution when it comes to the role of the Senate. And I have two quotes that I want to share with you first. One from one person, one from another. The first quote is, there are some who believe that the president, having won the election, should have complete authority to appoint his nominee, and the Senate should only examine whether or not the justice is intellectually capable and an all-around good guy. That once you get beyond the intellectual and personal character, there should be no further question as to whether the judge should be confirmed. I disagree with this view. I believe firmly that the Constitution calls for the Senate to advise and consent. I believe that it calls for meaningful advice and consent that includes an examination of a judge's philosophy, ideology, and record. Skip Lacombe, do you agree 
with that quotation. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I do too. I mean, well, not, it's, it's, I think it's hard to argue against, against that it. when you break it down to its most basic level. Well, and it's twofold. It's constitutional. Mm-hmm. I mean, that quote is siding with the Constitution, number one, and also it's philosophically right. Here's my second quote. The framers clearly intended the Senate to serve as a check on the president and to guarantee the independence of the judiciary. The Senate has undisputed right to consider judicial philosophy. Do you consider or do you agree with that, Skip Lacombe? Um, Yeah, I would say so. Okay. Um, I agree as well. The framers did clearly intend for checks and balances. They did clearly intend for the Senate to have a check, a balance of power over the president's nomination. The president nominates with the advice and consent. And the Senate does have the undisputed right to consider judicial philosophy. I agree with that. Even if that's not always in practice the way they were exactly planning on it, that's at least what they had set up. See, those two quotes are from two people that you may have heard of. The first quote is from President Barack Obama. The second quote, Vice President Joe Biden. You see, President Obama argued in saying, I believe that it calls for meaningful advice and consent that includes an examination of a judge's philosophy, ideology, and record. He passionately argued that when he was a senator. And Joe Biden, when he was a senator, argued that the framers clearly intended the Senate to have those checks and balances on the president. He absolutely argued it when he was a senator. But when they ended up over in the executive branch, everything changed. So here's two people who truly, regardless of why, were defending the Constitution when it served them. That's a problem. People using the Constitution when it benefits them, but not using it when it doesn't benefit them. I'm looking for consistency. You get that from strong leaders with good, strong moral character and foundation. So if you're looking at somebody who is saying something as accurate as President Obama or Vice President Biden, they were right at the time. They were supposed to advise in consent. Joe Biden basically started a concept that they called borking after Robert Bork, who was a nomination of uh, President Reagan's, that they, they didn't end up confirming. They, they bounced him out of there because his ideals were too conservative. They were too strong, right? And borking is where you just basically filibuster the nominee and never confirm him. Joe Biden basically started that, fanned those flames in the Senate, passionately defended that. And I agreed with him. But when you're in the executive branch, man, different, Dennis, things got to change. So how do we know if any of the presidents, as they were presidents, saying, I have the right to do this, that, and the other, were really speaking on what they believe, the Constitution, or it just was politically expedient or beneficial at the time? How about any senator, member of the House? Well, in this election year, when there's so much going on, when there's so much at stake, isn't that a question you should be asking yourself? That as the next president... Will they still argue what they argued 20 years ago, 10 years ago, yesterday? Will they change? 
See, you could look at quotes like this from President Obama when he was running in 2008 and say, that's the guy I'm looking for. See, he knows. Look at this. Separation of power, balance of power. In fact, if you go back through, President Obama as a candidate, as a senator, said some very right things. His philosophies overall and his voting record wasn't good for you know what I like, what I appreciate, my ideas, my principles, my values. But he was right on these things. So if you were to look at just that, you'd say, that's the guy, right? I want a guy who understands separation of powers. That's something I believe in, Skip. Separation of powers, a balance of power, somebody that understands their place in the executive office. They got to know and not overstep their boundaries. That's who I'm looking for. But you also need somebody who's going to be consistent. And, and that's actually, the key, right? Yeah, and actually go ahead and, and do what you uh, say what you're going to do and actually follow through and do those things. And don't change just because of the weather or because you're in a different job. So how do you know? How do you know? Well, you'll never know 100%. I mean, we've had Supreme Court nominees that were supposed to be really conservative, ended up being goofs. But the best way you can tell, Skip, or best ways you can tell, is track record. Character is what you do when nobody's watching. Have you ever heard that or something similar, the quote similar to that? Character is what you do when nobody's watching. In other words, when you know it's not going to benefit you. No one knows what I'm doing here. I could do whatever I want. You know, I don't even have to wash my hands. I don't have to floss. I don't have to, you know what I mean? It's your spouse's around. Just me, yeah. I do whatever I want. But if you still do it, that means you believe in it, or at least you will act on those things. You will be consistent with that, even if it doesn't benefit you. Given a chance to change and, and do something different, where you have complete and utter say and authority, you would still do it this way. That's based on track record. That's the best you can get in knowing who somebody is and how they will act. How would you, how would you rate somebody or determine a manager? You want to promote somebody. You own a company. You want to promote somebody to a manager. Or you're a manager and you want to promote somebody up. How do, you, how do you pick and choose? Do you just go, well, that guy's swell. Ooh, he said some nice things. No, you've got to look at their, their track record, their history. Do they practice what they preach? Well, As we on this Independence Day weekend consider who has defended the Constitution, that's a good question to ask as we head into this November's election. If you would, please follow us on Twitter. It's at Doc Thompson Show and at Skip Lacombe. At Doc Thompson Show and at Skip Lacombe. We're happy to be hosting Rights from Our Creator, The American Way. You're listening to a special presentation. Rights from Our Creator, The American Way. From the Blaze Radio Network. America, a nation whose greatness comes from the goodness of its people and the rights with which every citizen is born. If not what America will do for you, but what together we can do... For the freedom of man. Now, the Blaze Radio Network presents Rights from Our Creator, The American Way. Happy Independence Day. This is Rights from Our Creator, The American Way. I'm Doc Thompson along with Skip Lacombe. Please join us on Twitter. It's at Doc Thompson Show and at Skip Lacombe. Joining us now for the Blaze Radio Network, it's at StuntBrain on Twitter. Mike Opelka, how are you? I'm good, Doc. Thanks for uh, including me. This is my favorite American holiday. 
Well, I mean, what else do you have? Flag Day? Thanksgiving. Oh, I thought you meant like American, like the history of America. Well, I guess Thanksgiving kind of Memorial Day. Labor Day. Well, yeah. Father's Day, kind of an American holiday. I mean, I I thought you meant ones about specifically about America. So I was like, what's left? Flag Day? Arbor Day. Okay, very good. No, I I love Independence Day. V-Day? As I said at the the beginning of the, the program, it takes everything that I have, my core philosophies at my core, and puts it on a grand stage with a spectacle and fireworks and everything else. What's not to love about it? And if you recall from your childhood, local communities coming together. Yeah, I don't care that much about that. Well, I do. <laughs> the bike parades. I used to love the bicycle parades. Where we oh, would... you decorate your bikes and yes. the whole thing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there'd be a parade through your neighborhood or your subdivision, and you saw everybody, and they had Uncle Sam beards on little six-year-old kids. <laughs> and, you know, it's just fun to see. Ah, Chicago in the 70s. That's it was right. wonderful, wasn't it? Fantastic. Wonder years. Yes, sir. So, Mike, uh, we were talking specifically about people who defended the Constitution, spotlighting people throughout their life, who defended in one way or another the Constitution. And I remember you telling me a story about you in a roundabout way defending the Constitution <laughs> when you were, what, five or six? You were It, it was five or six years old. <laughs> we had, uh, yeah, I'm a big constitutionalist at that age. Five or six, really? <laughs> it was more of a military action, actually. Oh, okay. Wow, it. they were uh, the drafted, really scraping the bottom of the barrel there, weren't they? <laughs> well, I was a little kid. And we had moved our family from the south side of Chicago to the north side suburbs. Good move. That's a good move for you. I'm glad they did that. It was a very good move. (laughs) But we we were a growing family, and my mom had just given birth to her seventh child, my brother George. Wow. And we we ran out of house, basically. I understand. So suburban house with still a bunch of people crowded in every room, and the house was so new— we had a dining room table with no legs, so we had the the tabletop on the floor. All right, in the, in the kitchenette area, mm-hmm. and we would sit around that table. You used to say Indian style. Now you have to say cross legged, cross legged, or crisscross applesauce. That's right. Style. Isn't it Native American style now? I think actually? that's what it is. It yeah. might be. So, mm-hmm. pardon my non PC ness, but we would we would sit around the dinner table, and if Dad was there, we you know he would hold court. But most nights, because he came home late, because he was working hard and working late, mom would kind of lead the discussion and talk about life and everything. And I'll never forget in 63, the missiles of October, uh. when we were in the most tense time in, in my memory as a child, where we didn't know if the, the, the Cuban missile crisis was going to strike America. And it was, it was hour by hour, minute by minute, day by day, people... Absolutely. Worried. I mean, just at any moment, it could be complete annihilation. And if you think about it, it's post-World War II, post-Korean War, but you still have tension. The Cold War was still building up as the nuclear arms race was happening right in front of us. And you had you had Berlin separated by the wall. That's right. So you had East Berlin and West Berlin and mom was trying to explain to us what was going on. Well, real quick, Mike, too, and you think about the significance of the Cuban Missile Crisis, in some ways even more significant than 9-11. I mean, nobody died. There wasn't 3,000 people. There weren't planes in it. But 9-11 was a hit and go, and people felt the pain afterwards, whereas the Cuban Missile Crisis was the fear of an attack like that 
but just the constant tension. 9-11, we didn't know it was going to happen. This right. was all of the pain and tension and worry and angst leading up to it. It could have happened at any moment. And there were news reports every single day. The papers were full of it. And this was a time when people actually read the newspaper. Imagine that. Yeah. It was kind of like the Internet with ink. <laughs> you know, we called it the Inkernet back then. I was, think that's you a-, know, a lot of people, I think, did refer to it as the <laughs> Inkernet. But in any case, mom was... Mom was trying to tell us about it because my older brother or older sister came home from school and said, Mom, what does it mean? What's the, uh, what does it mean about the communists? And, the... and so my mother, in her infinite wisdom, used Berlin as the example. Okay. And explained that there were two kinds of governments. There was the American government, which was free and believed that everyone should have freedoms and work hard and accomplish things on your own. And then there were the communists who believed that nobody was special Everybody was the same, and everybody had to have exactly the same, but the government controlled it. She and did a pretty good job explaining to kids. I mean, that's a difficult to message to explain to them. Okay. I can remember it as if it were yesterday. And so we were like, well, what was that? What would that mean? I mean, if, every, if there were no, if everybody was the same, what would that mean? And, right. and she goes, well, let's take the example of Chicago. Your cousins now live down on the south side of Chicago, and we moved up here to the north side. If the communists took over the south side of Chicago, and first of all, I love the way my mother thinks, that we are in the good neighborhood. <laughs> well, She's, and to be honest, the communists did take over the south side of Chicago, right? I mean, that's, now the north side. side no, now no, the no. north side, the east side, west. They got the whole damn thing. They got the whole thing, yeah. So, you know, mom says the communists have taken over, and they've built a wall around the south side, split, uh, splitting the south side from the north side of Chicago, just like Berlin. And it would be a wall that would be up 10 or 15 feet with barbed wire and guards with guns. And she explained, now, this actually was going on in Germany, that the biggest city in Germany, Berlin, was divided by this wall. And the people who were on the communist side couldn't get out, even if they wanted to, even if they had family on the other side. Some of them would run to the wall and try and climb over, and they would shoot them, graveyard dead. <laughs> graveyard dead. <laughs> graveyard dead, just because they wanted to go see their cousins. Not dead. Graveyard, graveyard dead. dead. That's serious dead. That's real. I know dead. dead. That's, there's that's no coming dead. back from that. That's right. So <laughs> we're like, they just shoot them because they, they want to go there? And yeah, that's the story. So I said, well, why? And she goes, they had complete control. They wow. were in control of everything. Uh-huh. And they controlled uh, what everybody did. Like your dad would go to work in a factory. And his job would be to make stuff. And the government would distribute it. And he would get... We would get a place to live, and we would get our food, and you would go to school, and you would be taught what the government wanted you to learn. And I said, well, what about us? She goes, well, the girls would go work in a place that would probably make clothes for everybody because everybody would get the same clothes. And you boys, (laughs) you boys would go to a farm. You'd probably have to raise vegetables or, or, you know, cows or chickens or something. So now we've got divisional labor. If we're on the communist side of things. Right. And I said, so all our cousins would be doing this? Oh, yeah, it'd be terrible. And they'd <laughs> right. want to get out. All I could think of was, and remember, I'm like five or six years old. This is horrible. This is no way to live. Can't have this. No. And, I, you know, then we went on and everybody finished dinner and we ran out and played kick the can at night or whatever mm-hmm. was going on. And all I know is when my mom was talking about the kids, I said, well, what about baby Georgie? Your little brother, just born. He's just born. He's a little infant. <laughs> He's like two months old. She goes, well, the communists really didn't have much use for babies. A lot of times they'd just kill him. <laughs> <laughs> Graveyard dead. Graveyard dead. 
What? <laughs> so your mom just lobs it out there. Okay. Just, I know, what? what? <laughs> yeah, if they didn't have use for them, they'd, you know, and some, the same with the old people. <laughs> so I'm like, no, oh it's my accurate, God. but this. This seems like an intense learning experience at five, six years old. Although, I mean, I think it worked, though. I mean, this was a really good teacher to really actually show the true danger. And it's, a, it's, it's accurate. accurate. It's, right. And I'm sitting there trying to enjoy my hamburger and milkshake right. that we got on the special treat night in the new house. And all I could think of is we're going to bed that night is, what if the communists come? Because I said to my mom, why didn't the people get out? Of, right. of East Germany when they knew the, the communists right. were coming in. She goes, oh, they just came in overnight, oh, put and, that wall up. Uh-oh. And here, it's, here you are. It's overnight now. Sun's coming down. <laughs> I'm five or six years old. All right, Mikey, sweet dreams. <laughs> Time to go to bed. Mom and Dad are downstairs, you know, watching Mannix or something. Right. Going, oh, no, on in 1963. Right. My t- I slept in the same bedroom as my two brothers. And it was, you know, this is like a dorm <laughs> right. growing up. Those two dropped like redwoods and they're sawn logs <laughs> in their little single beds right there. And there you are alone. My eyes are wide open. I am mm-hmm. looking and I start, I said, you know, I better keep an eye on things. <laughs> and I get out of bed and I walk to the other side of the hallway <laughs> where my baby brother Georgie is sleeping mm-hmm. in the room with the crib. Right. And I check on him. First of all, he's there. And then I, I start, I figured I better keep an eye out. So I'm looking out the window mm-hmm. the whole night. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it wasn't obviously the whole night, but I was walking around and I, then I'd walk into my bedroom and look out the window and see if there was anybody on that Do the perimeter search. I'm watching the skies. Right. I'm the eyes on the skies. Well, I must have been making some noise because a little bit later, my mom comes upstairs and I'm looking out the window and she goes, what are you doing? I'm looking for the communists. <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, what? <laughs> Completely forgot of the story she told. It. Right, and right. Mm-hmm. I said, you told us a story about the communists could come and they could build a wall. And if we were on the wrong side of the wall, that, that they, we'd all be in trouble. And I'd be working on a farm and they might kill Georgie. Mm-hmm. So there you were, five or six, willing, <laughs> willing to take up arms and defend the Constitution. And George. And George, that's right. You and- were out there doing your part. She took me by the hand and led me downstairs mm-hmm. and said, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And told me about President Kennedy taking care of the country and doing what's right for the American people. And we don't have to worry about it. She said, I just was telling you the story so you'd understand what was going on in the rest of the world. And I will never forget that story. <laughs> I laugh about it. I cry about it. Because that, that was my mom. Was it all right then? Is everything better then? Did you understand? She comforted you enough? I, I got a little extra hugs from mom and dad that night. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was assured when she told me that it was all right, that it was going to be all right. The communists weren't coming. But that didn't stop me from freaking out every time I'd watch a monster movie in the afternoon <laughs> and believe that the giant spiders were under the beds. Now, my question is, when she said that, did you tell her? You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. In places you won't talk about, you want me watching for those commies. I see what you did there. (laughs) Wow. uh, I didn't realize you were a a fierce defender of the Constitution and little George uh, at such a young age. That's uh, that's powerful. I was was not ROTC. I was pre-K ROTC. (laughs) Well, apparently you've got uh, another story about someone who defended the Constitution. Uh, How about we take a quick break? We'll come back with uh, more.
with Mike Opalka on Twitter. It's at StuntBrain. This is Rights from Our Creator, The American Way. Rights from Our Creator, The American Way. A special presentation from the Blaze Radio Network. Now return to Rights from Our Creator, The American Way. Hi there, it's Doc and Skip on this Independence Day special, Rights from Our Creator, The American Way, heard on great stations coast to coast. Thanks so much for joining us, and happy Independence Day. On Twitter, it's at Doc Thompson Show and at Skip Lacombe. Michael Palka, editor-at-large of TheBlaze.com and Blaze Radio Network host, is still with us. So, Mike, when we're talking about the Constitution and defending the Constitution... And the principles of the Constitution, if you had to sum it all up, what, is it, what does it boil down to? It's all about free speech and opinion. Yes, I realize the First Amendment protects your right to worship as you choose. It protects people like me in the press and gives us the right to be able to ask the government questions and expect an answer. It also protects all of our right to assemble and let the government know we are unhappy about something, and it protects our right to petition that government for redress of grievances, meaning we can sue the government if we so choose. All of that protected in the First Amendment. However, my favorite part of that amendment is free speech and opinion, and I believe it is the most important item in the First Amendment protections. I came to this realization as a young man watching my father exercise his right to free speech and opinion and almost lose a distinguished career and many friends because of it. My dad, a real estate appraiser, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, real estate appraiser in the country. He is a pioneer. He is a guy who decided that standardization of valuations of property was vital. And he worked and created a system for other appraisers to speak to each other in a universal language with a single form, and it transformed the industry. It allowed for valuations to be expedited and more reliable. My father also believed that the appraiser should be afforded the opportunity to add an opinion on the condition of the neighborhood in terms of stability. This was challenged. He was told this was discriminatory, and he couldn't say it, and he fought. My father fought for the right of an appraiser to make a comment on the stability of a neighborhood. And he used to use arguments, and this is back in the 70s, like you wouldn't put a coffee shop in Salt Lake City. Well, of course, today, almost 50 years later, there are coffee shops in Salt Lake City. But back in the late 60s, early 70s, when it was a predominantly Mormon town with very few caffeine consumers, you wouldn't put a coffee shop in Salt Lake City and consider it to be the highest and best use of the land. He also would say that you wouldn't put a synagogue in Harlem because there were very few Jewish people in Harlem. You might put a church 
an AME Baptist church in Harlem, but my dad, in his opinion, would not consider the, quote, highest and best use of the land, close quote, to be for a synagogue in Harlem. And so the fight went all the way up to the Supreme Court. Along the way, many of his cohorts in the real estate appraisal business chose to split with my dad. They did not agree. But in the end, it was decided that, yes, you could have an opinion. Yes, you as an appraiser could express what you believed as a professional. And remember, these are professionals who are tested and licensed. As a professional, your opinion mattered. Eventually, after the decision was rendered, most of those folks came back. Some did not. And my dad often said that maybe they weren't really his friends before that he got his answer. But he also expressed to us the importance of the First Amendment. He said then, and still says, after the first, everything else is secondary. After one became a catchphrase in our house. I know, how many families have catchphrases? It's kind of strange, but it's very special to me. Special to the point that my dad actually had the license plate after one for a short time. My brother George in Florida has an after one license plate. And I too now carry after one on my license plate in Delaware. Our father taught us that free speech, the ability to have an opinion, is not just a right but in many cases, an obligation that you must fight for. Because if you don't have it, everything else that comes after it won't have any standing. And so on this 4th of July weekend, I celebrate my dad for showing us that, that the right handed down from God to man, the right to free speech, the right to freedom of the press, the right to worship as you choose, the right to assemble, and the right to actually sue the government if you choose. All of those things built into the First Amendment are, in fact, the five key components that make up the most important amendment to our Constitution. So important that the founders put it at the very top. It is number one for a reason. After one, nothing else matters. I have to say thank you to my dad for pointing it out to me at a very young age. I'll never forget it. Enjoy your freedom. Enjoy our independence. Celebrate the fact that we can and must have opinions. This is a special presentation. Rights from our creator, the American way. From the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc and Skip. Due process gets in the way a whole lot, often of punishing people who've done something bad, stopping people from doing stuff, something bad. But due process is there to protect your right to privacy. If you don't have it, it's going to be much worse. The Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip. Weekday mornings, 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network.
Rights from our creator, the American way. From the Blaze Radio Network. Happy Independence Day. This is Rights from our creator, the American way. Doc Thompson and Skip Lacombe, if you want to uh, find out more about us, you can go to theblaze.com slash radio. That's theblaze.com slash radio. So there's this uh, professor who is an incredibly biased rag himself. <laughs> He's a professor of the Constitution who recently wrote an op-ed piece for Rolling Stone, and it's entitled, Why It's Time to Repeal the Second Amendment. Now, before we get into this, let me just say, I at least give him some credit for coming out and saying, let's repeal the Second Amendment, as opposed to the other progressives that, oh, no, I'm all for the Second Amendment. President Obama will tell you all day how much he supports the Second Amendment and yet do everything they can within their power and some things that aren't in order to infringe your Second Amendment right. So at least this professor is putting it out there. Yeah, no, I'll give you that. I, I have I have far more uh, um, respect for somebody who actually has the opinion of let's ban guns, let's confiscate all guns, because uh, that actually might have a substantive effect of reducing gun violence, quote-unquote, not overall violence, because you'll just see more stabbings and whatnot. But I actually do have much more respect for that type of an argument as opposed to somebody saying we need to limit the magazine sizes. You're saying if you could actually ban all guns yeah. and not that you do support it no, you're just saying philosophically or logically that argument makes more sense that argument holds more water to me than eh, let's go ahead and limit the 30 round magazine or these type of guns it whatever they no are sense. or let's go ahead and um just deny people the right to buy a gun if they've been on the no-fly list but nobody knows the metric of how and why you get on or off the no-fly list so uh, anyways the reason we're bringing this article up is because it It goes right to the heart of what we're talking about on this Independence Day weekend and defending the Constitution. We're going to defend it right here against the attacks of this Professor David Cohen. I'm going to read parts of this, Skip, and jump in anytime you think anything sounds off from this op-ed piece, okay? Okay. And I am going to read it right from the beginning. I teach the Constitution for a living. I revere the document is what... I teach the Constitution for a living. I revere the document when it is used to further social justice and make our country a more inclusive one. Well, hold on. I love the Constitution when it works for me, when I can go ahead and use it for my agenda. I love the Constitution. You know, that's a really good point. Imagine if you said that with anything else, right? Uh, Oh, I love this standard we set, whatever it is. I love welfare when I get money, but I don't want you to have any. I love when people are nice to me, but I'm not going to be nice to you. I love when... That's what he's saying. What an idiotic take. So you don't revere... Let let me explain. I revere the Constitution and its principles even when they don't work for me, for personally benefit, right? I mean, I have... Even when it could be a detriment to you. Absolutely. If it were to cost me money... Or make things more difficult in my life. I still support. You don't think it would be easier if I, in my life personally, if I didn't have to listen to knuckleheads like David Cohen, if I could just deny their First Amendment rights (laughs) and only I had them, wouldn't that be swell, Skip? That'd be fantastic. But I can't do that. You don't think it would be great if I could deny the rights of, of knuckleheads to peacefully assemble like those occupiers or the Black Lives Matter knuckleheads or any of these other groups out there like that? That'd be great if I could get rid of those protesters. So, really, the First Amendment doesn't work for me then. But I still revere the document, and I still defend those people's rights. 
He does not. Yet he teaches the Constitution. He's a constitutional uh, professor? Right. We, we are one sentence into this. Let me that again. I teach the Constitution for a living. I revere the document when it is used to further social justice and make our country a more inclusive one. Which, by the way, you're not making it a more inclusive one. You're dividing me away from it. But sentence number two. I admire the founders for establishing a representative democracy that has no! survived over... Hold on! This guy's a constitutional professor and he says we are a what? He says we're a representative democracy. You sound like you have a problem with that. We're not. We're a republic. That's... Okay, we are a representative... I hate people who go out there and say, you know, America's so great because of our system of democracy. No, America's not great because of our system of democracy. It's the republic that they set up. You know, people can even use the word democracy and um, and mean... It's become a catch-all. It's become a catch-all when it means a free country like ours. People can say, well, I love democracy. Okay, that does kind of work. It's not 100% accurate. But remember, Skip, this guy starts with, I teach the Constitution, and doesn't use democracy in that word. He said, the founders established a representative democracy. Is he that ignorant, Skip, or is he trying to change the narrative so people do not know we're a republic? It's the latter. I'm sure he knows. I mean, I'm sure he actually has studied the Constitution. He just disagrees with a lot of the Constitution. He doesn't hold it up. He doesn't revere it. The third sentence, he says... But sometimes we just have to acknowledge that the founders in the Constitution are wrong. This is one of those times. We need to say loud and clear the Second Amendment must be repealed. Okay, there are times the founders in the Constitution were and are wrong. That happens. I think it's rare. But the beauty of it is they also set up a system where you can alter it or abolish it. That's, that's the beauty. And that's kind of the point he makes. <clears throat> we can change things, and we have. He goes on to say, as much as we have a culture of reverence for the founding generation, it's important to understand that they got it wrong and got it wrong often. Do you think that's the case? Did the founding generation get it wrong often? Let me ask you then, why do you have such respect for this document and these founders if you think they were so often wrong? You don't have any respect for it. You're, You're outright saying that you don't. So he's saying they came up with something that binds people's hands that he can use to bind people's hands to force them to social justice. Right? That's that's why yeah. he reveres it? That's what you're saying? That's crazy. That's that's not only not the Constitution, it's not what the founders did, said, or wanted. He is completely off. He said, um, for instance, most people don't know, but under the original document, Mitt Romney would be serving as President Obama's vice president right now because he was the runner-up in the last presidential election. That part of the Constitution was fixed by the 12th Amendment, which set up the system that we currently have the president and vice president running for office together. Um. He sees that original system as that wrong? That's your big wrong that the Constitution. I mean, I'll give you why? slavery and stuff, but why? why? Let, I mean, let's really break that down. Break down how the rule used to go. Why would that have been such a horrible thing? I mean, obviously, it was a person who was the runner-up in the election, so there's at least a, if not majority, a large number of people in the right. electorate who mm-hmm. said, yeah, this is my guy. I think he would do a good job. Right. And What's the, so horrible about well, that? Well, and the vice president has very little power. About the only time the vice president gets power, two ways. President dies, and you become president, or as a tiebreaker in the Senate, as, as presiding over the Senate. I mean, that's, that's what you get. That happens rarely. Okay, so most of the time the president or the vice president does very little. So who cares? If they're the other party, okay, well, in other words, it's not that big of a wrong for you to cite in this article as a reason to repeal the Second Amendment. But okay, let's move on. He said much more profoundly, here it is, 
The framers of the Constitu- and the Constitution were wildly wrong on race. They enshrined sl- slavery into the Constitution in multiple ways. And he goes on to explain it with the three-fifths of a person for congressional representation, and he's absolutely wrong. He said it took a bloody civil war to fix these constitutional flaws and another 150 years and counting to fix the societal consequences of them. Jeez. So it's all these societal consequences, too, we're having to deal with? If only those... Uh those awesome, amazing founding fathers whom I revere would have just gotten some of these things right, all the things they got wrong. He then goes on to say there are other flaws that have been fixed, such as about voting and presidential succession, and still other flaws that have not been fixed. Before I tell you what those are, he said presidential succession was a flaw. Do you know the flaw he's talking about? No. What was it before? Here's the big flaw. It used to go presidential succession was president, vice president, speaker of the house, the Secretary of State, and then down through the cabinet. It went like this. And then they fixed it. And it went President, Vice President, Speaker of the House, President Pro Tem of the Senate, and then down. I'm glad we we fixed that. (laughs) I don't know what we would have done had had the fourth person down the line not gotten his fair shake. You see how wrong the founders were, Skip, according to the guy who teaches the Constitution. I mean, if the President Pro Tem... Doesn't he get a shot? Doesn't he get a shot in there? Come on. Well, and the president pro tem is is the, I think, most senior member of the um, party in power. And it's like, okay, so the oldest dude, that's your, he wasn't voted on the other people or anything like this. He said the founders were deeply flawed and it was and is a flawed document. And when I, and when we think about how to make our country a more perfect union, we must operate with those principles in mind. In the face of yet another mass shooting, now is the time to acknowledge and uh, a profound but obvious truth. The Second Amendment is wrong for this country and needs to be jettisoned. He said, we can do that through a constitutional amendment. And he mentions the 18th and 21st, the prohibition of alcohol and then the repeal of that. He gives some specifics on guns like the AR-15. He said there are no weapons remotely like the AR-15 assault rifle. And many of the advances of modern weaponry were long from being invented or popularized. He mentions that. And then he says, speaking of guns, yeah, real quickly to that. I mean, at the time, back when they were, I mean, the musket ball loader was the most advanced type of of weaponry you could imagine. It's like us thinking of lasers or something. Dude, yeah, seriously, that was, I mean, a horrible, deadly killing device, as much so as anything modern is. This professor then says, gun right advocates like to make this all about liberty, insisting that their freedom to bear arms is utmost important and that restricting their freedoms would be a violation of their basic rights. Okay. He then says, but liberty is not a one-way street. It also includes the liberty to enjoy a night out with friends, loving who you want to love, dancing how you want to dance in a club that has historically provided a refuge from the hate and fear that surrounds you. It's already against the law to kill people. Do you, but do you see what he says? That's, You're that right. is what, what got into infringing your rights mm-hmm. to go out and, and dance in a club and love people. It isn't the gun that did it. It was the crazy dude who decided to go in there with the gun. I have heard this narrative from other people recently oh, after that shooting. This is going to be the narrative you continue to hear, that your Second Amendment rights do not trump their rights to be fearful, to be shot up. It's already a violation of the law for you to be shot or killed, right? It is. So that's already against the law. But then they go, well, what about the, the fear that I'm going to be attacked? And this is where they miss it. And this is what's so important to understand about the Constitution on this Independence Day weekend. You have no right to feel a certain way. You have no guaranteed right 
to feel a certain way. Now, you can feel the Constitution, even you know Article 9, live your life as you see fit. But it doesn't guarantee that you will feel a certain way. Whereas you do have a right to have a weapon, to have a car, to have whatever. Go and live your life as long as that's not infringing somebody else's. Do you understand the difference in the breakdown? Yeah, no, I mean, where, I mean, taking that same logic and applying it to other areas, where is this going to ultimately end? If they say you have the right to not to have to ever feel sad. So if you ever actually get into a relationship with somebody, that person can't break up with you. You're stuck, oh, you, you agreed to date them. Well, we don't want this person to feel sad. You do not have a right to, to not fear others. You do not have a right to a guarantee of safety. You do not have the, the right to expect you will not be killed or whatever. I mean, yeah, those are an infringement of your rights, but you don't have the right to feel a certain way. You do have the right to have your rights not infringed, including not being battered, which is why that is against the law. And this is a constitutional professor that teaches young minds the Constitution, and he has an absolute flaw in his understanding of the Constitution or... He doesn't like what the Constitution is. You're listening to a special presentation. Rights from our creator, the American way. From the Blaze Radio Network. Rights from our creator, the American way. A special presentation from the Blaze Radio Network. Happy Independence Day. Thanks for joining us. It's Doc and Skip. You know, I've come to realize that the fight for freedom, that is defending the Constitution that we've been discussing on this Independence Day weekend, defending personal freedom, is a fight that we will not only always have, but it's a fight we should have. Things that come easy are often valued less. If we're not fighting for something, it's really not worth it. Things that aren't earned are taken for granted. And I think that's where we are right now. We haven't had to fight for our freedoms for many generations. I mean, really, really fight for them. And where did we end up? In a bad way. So I've changed my focus just a little bit. And maybe you'll consider doing this as well. Things are so negative. It's so overwhelming. I have a, a better outlook now knowing that part of my job is to fight for freedom. I'm not just looking to win something and then it'll be good. It's good now because I'm fighting for those freedoms and those rights. No, I don't want to see personal freedoms eroded. It's frustrating when I see things infringed. I get angry. But there's never going to be a status quo for personal freedoms. It's not a place at which we arrive. It's a journey, a constant fight for right. And the fight, that struggle, is good for us in a lot of ways. I would much rather... Be sitting on a couch, watching TV, exercising other personal freedoms like <laughs> like eating bad food and drinking alcohol and watching TV. I would much rather be doing that, or I used to anyways. But now that slight alteration in my thinking, everything's gotten a lot better. I'm not quite as angry. I'm not quite as bitter as I have been for the last decade or so because I know as long as I'm out there doing right and fighting for those freedoms, we're going to be okay. I'm doing my job. The act of fighting for those rights is just as important as having the personal freedoms you're fighting for. So in spite of all the difficulties we've had as Americans, 
especially in the last 10 years or so, in spite of the infringement of those rights that you see every day, America remains one of the freest places on this earth and one of the freest places to fight for those and other freedoms. Have a happy Independence Day. May God bless you, and may God bless America. Right from our creator, the American Way is a service of the Blaze Radio Network, produced by Ty Johnson and Sarah Sullivan, executive producer Dom Theodore. This has been a special presentation. Rights from our creator, the American Way. From the Blaze Radio Network.